Welcome to another edition of the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, and I am joined by my good friend, my old Navy buddy. He writes for PopMatters.com. Actually, he's a big deal with PopMatters.com these days after some hoity-toity promotion. Uh, He is Chris Ingalls. Chris, how are you? I'm doing fine, Jerry. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, I forgot to mention that uh, you were also in Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) Yeah, I was in, uh, yeah, or or Breaking Bad or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I went through a major uh, shake. I had bleached my hair just for the hell of it because it's, you know, whatever. It's pandemic. And then uh, that was like about a month ago, so I decided to just like buzz it all off and in the meantime shave my beard, which had been growing for a while. And then for about... 10 minutes I had a mustache and I took a picture of it because I'm like hey nobody is going to let me keep this so let's uh, document it so, especially uh, your yeah, wife no she was I was. I asked her I said just very innocently I said what do you think and she's like nah uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> she said, she said I think her exact words are she goes there's three there's three men who look good with mustaches Tom Selleck uh, Sam Elliott and my dad in the 80s meaning her dad and I'm right. like you know what you, you get a point there so I uh I got rid of it, but it was it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, seventies cop show or uh, Beastie Boys sabotage video came to right. mind when I when I saw the photo of sure. the mustache today. All perfectly appropriate. Right. So here we go with the opening of the can for this evening. Uh-huh. I already uh, opened mine. I know. This is uh, Morgan Territory's a Dark Reckoning. It is a uh, Imperial Porter, eight uh, percent alcohol by volume. I thought the name was appropriate for uh, what's going on in the world these days. Sure. Since we're all going to die. Um, (laughs) Sure. Because because of all the disease vectors walking around that can't obey stay-at-home orders. Yeah. Or places that have lifted theirs way too early, Wisconsin. Yep. Yep, yep. And uh, and it's not just the places, I mean, even, you know, you look at a place like Massachusetts, which is, uh, you know, is historically a fairly liberal state, and they had protests in the state, uh, over by the state house, just like you see in all these other cities. So it, it just goes to show you that while I think most people are following the rules and staying at home, there's always going to be some idiots who insist on going back to work because their rights are being violated, whatever that means. I spent $37 today on eight pints of beer, and those eight pints would have cost me, what, 80 bucks had I got them at the tap room or the bar or whatever? Sure. Look, people, it's cheaper to drink at home, especially if you are a brown liquor drinker like I am. Do you know the markup on freaking scotch in a bar? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And I see all these photos of people. Do you really need to be in a bar that bad? I don't understand. I don't get it. Well, I think that, and I'm not excusing the behavior by any by any means, but but I think that people miss the social interaction, which I get. I totally get it because that's something that I miss. I miss going to concerts. I miss going to the movies. I miss all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's just going to get worse if you don't, you know, if you don't fall in line and stay at home. And uh, people are just not patient enough for that unfortunately they're you know they're stupid too they're right stupid. and and i think the thing that bothers me the most is uh the folks who say their um their rights are being infringed upon their yeah. their civil rights or whatever uh let's talk to some folks who really had their civil rights infringed upon that you right. know don't aren't alive anymore because of it um 
you know, I, I really don't want to belabor the point with, with the, you know, we could talk for an, a, a full hour on, on this particular subject. But what I wanted to um, discuss right off the bat, we were uh, trading messages about it earlier today. And yes, he was 86 and he had a, lived a long, fruitful life and did everything you could do in, in movies and, and television and, and, and even cartoons. Uh, Fred Willard passed away at the age of 86. Um, he was... I, I say he's one of my favorites, but I, I have a hard time naming five things he was in. Yeah, well, because the Christopher Guest stuff is, I think, what he's probably best known for for a lot of people. Yeah, like and Destin Show and Spinal Tap and that stuff. Yeah, and for me, it was you know he just kind of appeared. Yeah, he would just show up on something, and you'd be oh, Fred Willard's on, great. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I loved about Fred Willard, he was always Fred Willard. He did wasn't yeah. playing a character. He right. he was always just. Fred Willard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of clueless, you know. Yeah, but witty at the same time, right? right I mean, right, exactly, exactly. He, he did. He did such a great job of just appearing clueless, but but funny as hell. And, and I, you know, and I think I posted it somewhere that I said I think he's one of the funniest people on the planet. He really was. I mean, you look at him in these movies where, like, in, you know, he had this one small scene in Spinal Tap, and he was invested show, and he's been in. You know, all sorts of things, and always just a really, really funny guy. And from what I understand, from all the stories that people are saying, one of the nicest guys, too. That's what I've heard from yeah. from my Twitter yeah. feed and some other places. Yeah. You know, and it, might as well get it out of the way now. There is a Stephen King connection with Fred Willard. Uh, <laughs> there always is. Always is on this program. Um, we have our Stephen King moment. And Fred Willard was in the 1979 miniseries Salem's Lot. Now, he's in it for five minutes, but he chews the scenery when he's in it. It's, See, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't seen that movie in ages. I don't even remember what he does in that movie. I just like rewatched it. He plays a local real estate agent. He's the guy that sells or rents uh, Kurt Barlow uh, and his henchmen the uh, the space for their antique shop. Okay. Um, but at the same time, he's, uh, he's um, philandering with a married woman who works uh, for him. You know, that old uh, cliche of diddling the secretary. Yeah. Um, you know, and so he's got to deal with a vampire and a jealous husband. So I don't know which one's worse, um, <laughs> in that case, but, but Willard, Willard is a, a, just a, he, he'd been in a business since 66. So this was 79. So he'd been in, you know, been acting for 13 years and he just, he just had a, a presence. And like I said, even though he's in the movie for five minutes, he's funny, he's affable. He's, yeah. um, you know, his character's not what I would call likable, but you know, he, he, you remember him if you watch it, and I just watched it sure. again a couple months ago, and I hadn't seen it since we were kids. And, uh, yeah, he, he makes an impression. Um, Jerry Stiller, too, a couple of days ago. That's yeah, and, you know, yeah. Uh, what's, what's interesting about that is um, I listen when I was commuting, obviously, before this all happened, um, Sirius XM has radio classics. They have a, a station that has old radio dramas and comedies. And um, the last few months heading into to March, they were running Stiller and Mira. Um, sure. You know, the, the comedy show he used to do with his wife um, yep. on the radio. And I, you know, that, that's kind of the only reason I knew what his wife's name was when this all happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they had done a lot of stuff together. Uh, she died several years ago, I think. Um, and she was uh, uh, she was in Reality Bites, believe it or not. I think she had a small role in that uh, film and uh, did a lot of stuff with him, but a lot of stuff without him as well. 
um, a great a great team. But of course, he's always you know to me he's always going to be Frank Costanza. Um, and sure. Was, you know what? Yeah. And watching clips of that, you know, re- over the past several days, I forgot about how funny his character was. He's just such a. I mean, he was insane. And just like people said about Fred Willard, a lot of everybody, like Jason Alexander and everybody else, was saying Jerry was was one of the nicest guys, just like a really sweet guy, but just you know played a great, just like insane, you know, strange father on that show. So uh, in ninety something, I think ninety two, I think he was. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when I see the reaction of of some folks when somebody you know these these eighty and ninety year old. Uh, entertainers pass away it's like oh so sad like why are you so sad it, it's the the guy you know they, they lived almost 100 years old let's celebrate yeah. you know and and remember the great works and and laughs or entertainment they provided to us but you yeah. know it's not like they popped off at 36 right right in the prime of their life or you know right. shot down or whatever i mean yeah these I, both of these guys i think died peacefully and uh you know long very productive lives um but yeah i mean it is sad but it's it's right. also it's like let's 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 celebrate them and let's be happy for what they what they you know the joy that they gave people i mean like i said i was watching the seinfeld clips a few days ago just like laughing my ass off i was watching a, a scene today with fred willard uh, in uh, a mighty wind and i was just cracking up because it was just so funny so i mean you know it's I, i'm just glad that we were able to experience that and we can continue to experience it after they're gone obviously so um yeah i hear what you're saying definitely yeah you know what's interesting and i i've had this thought before and you can certainly relate to it because we're the same age um when you really think about it we have six decades of frame of reference and I think, you know, we bridge like two generations um, or two eras from, you know, going from the 60s into the 70s all the way to today. But, you know, the kind of the pre-internet era and the yeah. post-internet era. And kind of what drives me nuts with a lot of young people is if it, if it happened before 1996, it may, may as well not have happened. And, and I kind of picked 96 kind of arbitrarily, but it's like there's no frame of reference for for these kids for stuff. And I know I sound like an old man here, but it, it just, you know, when you start talking about, you know, Ed, the Ed Sullivan show, they look at you like you got three heads. I never watched the show, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, right, right, right. And you being yeah. a, you know, a guy who who's immersed in pop culture, you know, as, as a vocation, um, you know, you have music knowledge that a lot of people, other people don't know and don't have, but, you know, I'm sure with some of these younger folks, I could drop music references that would go right over their heads. Well, and I don't think that you have to be, have been around to, to, you know, one of the things that kind of drives me nuts sometimes, and it's sort of related in a way, is when people say, like, if, if, if a teenager talks about how much they like the Beatles, for instance, and someone will say, the Beatles, you weren't around when the Beatles were around, which I don't really understand how, why you'd make that connection, because it's like, you know, I know who Beethoven is, but I wasn't alive 200 years ago. So I think that, like, the, the stuff is all out there, whether or not you were alive when it happened or not, and I don't think that it's any excuse for someone to be like, well, I, that was before my time. Well, it's it exists. It's out there. You can experience it. We have the technology. So, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because um, you know there's there's just I don't know there's there's a lack of respect for history I think 
and it it kind of bothers me um you know especially since i'm a historian by trade now so um you know moving on uh <laughs> um, the lousy and usually we're pretty good at the the segues yeah, here i know i know i know sorry um just a last note about fred willard um thing that I noticed uh, in looking up his uh, IMDb profile before getting on with you tonight, um, the guy did everything. And yeah. he he acted in films, television shows, did voiceover for cartoons, and yeah. and not just any cartoons. He even did Canderville. Um, and then um, our kids would probably know him best from Wall-E as the only live actor in the yeah. entire, uh, yeah. entire film. Um, yeah. yeah, and again... You know, I mean, he was a regular contributor on, on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and I'm not a fan of Kimmel, so I didn't see a whole lot of those. Um, but again, whenever uh, they'd have Fred Willard on, it was, you know, he was doing some kind of shtick. He reminded me a lot of, like, uh, Milton Berle, um, talk about arcane references, right? Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, yeah. um, you know, performers like that, Jack Benny, um, you know, guys that, that, you know, would, even Johnny Carson, when Johnny was, was uh, on the Tonight Show, he had his characters and he had his shtick and, you know, he did the, the, the you know, the guy with the turban that did the prognosticating and, uh, he had the, yeah, and then he had the travel agent character. Fred Willard reminded me of that. He could come up with a sketch, like almost on the spot, a character. Yeah. Yeah, kind of old, old, kind of old school sensibility and stuff like that. But, but, but still, but very sharp. And, and you know, you mentioned the stuff on Kimmel. Kimmel. I mean, that's that's very recent. So he was still doing stuff and still really funny, like right up until the very end, which I think is is, is you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, so tonight, former President Barack Obama was on television de- delivering basically a nationwide commencement address for uh, yeah. graduating high school seniors, which I thought was really uh, interesting. And um, when when the uh, the idiot in the White House says, well, you know, we, we can't have a lot of testing for the coronavirus because that just leads to more cases. Um <laughs> You know, we, we won't have as many cases if we, we don't do so much testing. Oh, okay. It means what? It doesn't mean we're not sick, you idiot. Anyway, yeah, um, right. you know, uh, and I didn't watch it, but, you know, a lot of what I've been reading on Twitter tonight, and this is one of the things that I always liked about Barack Obama. I might not have always agreed with his politics, and obviously I'm kind of late to the, the this side of the aisle, but... Um, he was always a brilliant orator. I always, yeah. the man could give a speech yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, he ran on, on that, that hope campaign. And, and I think that's, that's what, you know, given that commencement speech, whoever gives it at whatever institution, that's what it's about. You know, um, Matthew yeah. McConaughey was doing something as well. And he was on one of the insipid morning shows the other day. And, uh, that's what I found during his stay at home thing. Daytime television sucks ass. Um, meaning, like, television meaning like the, the talk shows? Good Morning America, yeah. you know, Kelly and Ryan Seafoam yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. Um, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And um, 
but um, you know, just to just to kind of put a cap on the whole thing, I just find it interesting that it was you know Barack Obama who did this, and and you know you had somebody who could actually deliver a, a hopeful speech as opposed to um, somebody who's talking about super duper missiles and his space force. Yeah, did you see the space force video with the the guy with the flag? Whatever. Uh, just yeah, just <laughs> ham handed. Uh, I'm not joining up. My time is over. I'm not going back. Um, but I can think of a few people in this administration we can shoot into space while we're at it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I and, agree. You know, I, I'll I'll never forget the whole thing about Space Force when they first announced it, and they were interviewing Man on the Street, and I think Comedy Central did it, or or uh, the Daily Show, or or one of those. And they were asking people what they thought about Space Force, and, and one one person said, now we're going to find out what's really going on out there. And they said, what, you don't know from NASA? Oh, no, no, Trump's got the real shit. He'll tell us what's really going on. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, because NASA's hiding the secrets of the universe from the rubes. Right. I'm like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you people? You know, if I want Space Force, I'll just go watch Moonraker with Roger Moore. It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, that was the one. Which one was that? He goes into space, at Dr. Holly Goodhead, and goes off into space on these space shuttles with Hugo Drax. Wait, wait, wait hold it. Is that the real character's name? Yes, Holly, Holly Goodhead. <laughs> God, they really loved him euphemisms with those female characters didn't they i've read i just read casino royale the other day and i'm like oh god this is awful i don't know where the hell they got yeah it was yeah and then well Well, honor sorry you were talking about the inflaming stuff yeah you you, you would would, um so what was your general take on it? I mean, it's just really pulpy, kind of... Poorly written. Um, yeah. It starts off with all this spy shit he expects you to know, all this terminology, and you're like, what the hell is this? It's like it's like dropping into the middle of a Tom Clancy novel expecting, you know, to know um, thermonuclear war defense. Yeah, it just, right. you know, you're like, I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. It evens out, but so much that it, it was Sean Connery that, that made the character. You, yes. don't, you don't get what we see on the screen from this book. He's an idiot, yeah. is what right. he is. He just blunders his way through the whole thing and, and you know, just happens to win this card game against, you know, Le Chiffre. Um And it's, yeah, it's... And then, you know, in, in the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, it's obviously Daniel Craig that drives the whole thing. And... It's definitely uh, the the movies are a product of the actors who play them uh, and the screen adaptations because I don't think the the books I I have Doctor No and I'll read it eventually but I I was not impressed um, mm-hmm. but um, God we're, we we got off topic what the hell were we talking about Oh we Space Force Oh yeah Moonraker yeah. right yeah. right So yeah. it was Doctor Holly Goodhead and Hugo Drax was the bad guy played by Maximilian. Um, Maximilian Shell and yeah, yeah. and uh, so um, he's he's like it's another one of these master race guys, right? He's he's gonna take the master race off into space on some space station, and then he's gonna blow up the Earth or or you know 
kill off the Earth's population. And only James Bond can stop him. And there's this this epic space battle with pew-pew guns. And, you know, <laughs> of course, the, the U.S., you know, sends their space marines. And I'm like, oh, God. And every time Trump talks about Space Force, all I can think about is Moonraker. Mm-hmm. And and the guy, you know, the guy Jaws with the, the mouth full of metal and everything else, he's yeah, in Richard, it. Richard Keel. Yeah, Richard Keel, he's in it. And... Oh, it's just, it's terrible. Oh, he was in, uh, he was also in Spy Who Loved Me, I remember. I remember oh, yeah. I saw, I saw Spy Who Loved Me in the theater, and it was one of those movies where I was like, yeah, I'm probably not old enough to be watching this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it was the 70s, they didn't care. It's like, bring your kid to the movies, whatever. Well, yeah, yeah just, just not to, to belabor the James Bond topic, but that's how I got into James Bond was as a kid when they used to put him on the, the Sunday night movie on, yeah. on network television. And I remember yeah. staying up late watching James Bond movies, and all I remember were like boats blowing up, and I had no idea what the hell was going on. Well, we kind of grew up in the Roger Moore era, I think, right? Because Roger Moore was like the seventies, seventies and eighties, yeah, seventies and eighties. Um, and I think the first ones that I saw were probably, you know, like I said, Spider Love Me, and I, I probably saw Moonraker when it came out, and I definitely saw. And I hate just saying this word because it's the worst movie title ever. I saw Octopussy right. uh, when it came out. I think I saw that on, like, it was on HBO or something. I think I remember seeing it. And then uh, um, the one with uh, Christopher Walken, uh, View to a Kill. Those are all Roger Moore. So yeah. those are the ones. I didn't discover Sean Connery until, like, later on. I went back to some of those earlier ones. And then there was uh, Timothy Dalton who was in, like, one or two of them, which were, like, awful. Um and then Pierce Brosnan, who I thought was actually pretty decent. I actually haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig ones, but oh. he's supposed to be really good. Oh, yeah. I have Connery as my 1A and, and Craig as my 1B as far as actors who've played uh, James Bond. There was a, a guy named George Lazenby played him for uh, one installment. One, yeah, Under Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, and he was terrible. He was he was a, a model. He wasn't an actor. Um and it sounds was like a great idea. Oh yeah. And it's so funny right in the beginning of the movie there's a fourth wall break and uh he looks straight at the camera and goes this never happened to the other guy. Uh it's great. <laughs> That's not very promising. No, but it, and he only lasted one movie and and it was just yeah, not good. Uh but Daniel Daniel Craig is brilliant. Um Yeah. And, and, and I, Idris Elba is, is the next one, right? Isn't well, the there's one? there's rumors flying around but they haven't um uh, they they hadn't made up their mind what they wanted to do, and then they they convinced Daniel Craig to come back for one more. Oh, okay. and that's supposed so to it was supposed to be out this summer, um, or actually I think it might have been supposed to be out um, um, the first week of April, and then they delayed it. And the last I knew was like November. It was supposed yeah. to because of this whole mess. Um, but yeah, so right. you know it, it's one of those things where. Um, you know, you'd mentioned a, a, a little bit ago, one of the things you miss is going to movies. That is probably the, the one thing I miss right now is going to the movies. Last thing I saw was Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about it over, um, you know, talking about all this, all this streaming stuff. I, I have been watching and catching up on all kinds of stuff. I'm caught up on Bosch. Um, if you haven't caught up, you need to. It's really good. Yeah, I'm about. I'm. I'm. I think I'm like two seasons behind. Um, what was the season that just? This, Six. What's the latest season. Six. Okay, I think I've only seen one through three, or maybe four. I don't know. It's been a while, but um, yeah, I need to get back into that. But the thing is, I'm so far behind on everything, so it's like you know. And I, I did. I did watch um, 
the last thing I watched was that Waco miniseries, which is actually not bad. I don't know if you saw it or not. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. I think the yeah, last good, like documentary anything I watched was Tiger King. Well, this is not a doc. This is this is a dramatization. Okay, it's, it's not a yeah, and it's it's got a really good cast. Um, but uh, that was, I mean, I hate to say enjoyable because it's about Waco. It's not exactly a rip roaring good time, but I mean, it was very well done. The acting was tremendous, but um, yeah. So I and that was only like six parts. It was like six episodes. So it was easy to just like you know breeze through that. But uh, yeah, I got a few things on on my list that I need to start watching. And uh, I want to watch uh, Mrs. America because that's supposed to be really good. Um, and uh, yeah, there's this, you know, I got a list like everybody does. Yeah, I've managed to get through quite a few things. I think we talked about it the last time. There were some uh, uh, series produced in Iceland that were really good. Yes. Um, there was uh, another one called Fortitude that was like in Norway or one of those places. Um, and if you like Bosch, and I know you do, there's a, a series from England called DCI Banks, and okay. and the guy is basically the British Bosch. Um, okay. You know, he's in charge of a, a small detective team. Um, likes whiskey, likes jazz. It's based on a series of books. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah, right. I'm in the middle of season three. There's five seasons of it. It's really good. Uh, takes a little while. Um, you know, the character is not uh, as good of an actor as, as you know, <laughs> my <laughs> wife would not agree, but uh, not as good as Titus Welliver. But, um, you know, it it, it, it kind of has a, a similar feel to it. And I like watching the British crime shows because um, you get to see the, like, different techniques they use and, yeah. you know, how their police handle things and how, how their hierarchy is, is set up. We've been watching American detective shows for so long. Yeah. And I, went, I, you know, and I went through a phase where I watched a lot of those, but I kind of got a little burnt out on them because it seems like there is an endless amount of these British detective shows. It's almost like they make more of them than we do. And I was, I mean, I remember my, one of the first ones I ever got sucked into was uh, in the nineties, the original run of prime suspect with Helen Mirren, which I really, really liked. I thought that was done very well. Uh, and then I watched one of the fairly recent ones that I watched uh, was The Fall, which is actually Irish, I think. And okay. that has, uh, what's her name? Uh, X-Files. Um, I'm blanking on her name. Jillian Anderson? Jillian Anderson, yes. Really? She, she is like, I don't remember if she plays an Irish woman or if she's an American who's like happens to be in the cast, but she plays like the detective in charge of hunting down a serial killer. It was on Netflix. I think it still is, but hmm. I thought it was really, really good. Um, it, I think there were two seasons and uh, yeah, but I, there were a couple that I tried to get into and I couldn't like, I tried to watch Broadchurch and it just bored the crap. Out really? Of I enjoyed Broadchurch. I uh, love well, David well, Tennant. So did, so did my wife. My wife loved it. I just thought it was so slow. I just could not, but, you know, I, I'm in the minority because everybody I know loves it. Well, there's but only three seasons of it, so maybe you can yeah. give it another shot. Um, and what I like about these um, British ones, their seasons are only like six or eight episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not 13 or whatever. I'm still trying to right. trying to catch up on Gotham. I'm, you know, in the middle of season well, Gotham, three Gotham's on that one. With, uh, that's uh, Billy Bob Thornton. No, no, no. That, that's um, oh, Goliath. Goliath. Yeah, Gotham. Yeah, yeah, Gotham yeah. is like the the Batman prequel. Got it. All right. Okay. So it's all the backstory of all the characters that live in the the Batman universe. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Right. Of course. Hence yeah. the name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Goliath is great, though. 
Uh, you know, I I hadn't gotten through the last season. I probably got about halfway through, and I'm like, eh, I'll get back yeah. to it uh, eventually. But um, yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's another one, another British one that that I watched called Marcella that was really good. Uh, had a real dark turn at the end of the last season. Um, it was dark to begin with, but um, I, I'm really discerning when it comes to these. I don't just you know uh, blindly watch them. Um, if you liked Prime Suspect, there's a prequel, uh, a short run um, that was really good, all about okay. how how uh, uh, Tennyson becomes a police officer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 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 a, a different uh, uh, actress, obviously. Yeah, younger. younger yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Killing Eve. I caught up on that, so I'm I'm current mm-hmm. on Killing Eve. I've never been a Sandra O oh fan, but uh, Jodie Comer, who plays the uh, assassin in this, is absolutely freaking hilarious. You want a good dark okay. comedy? Watch Killing Eve. Uh, it's in the middle of season three. What's that? That's a that's a Netflix original, right? No, it's USA or one of them. Okay, um, but it's on Netflix. Yeah, you can get you can yeah. catch up there. Um, right. You know, so lots of lots of stuff to binge. And as you've seen on my my Instagram and other places, I have been reading like a fiend. Yeah, I, I've seen. Kudos. Oh, thank you. I think I I think with confidence I can say this year I've read more than you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm do I'm not I'm doing really badly this year. And, and what's happening is is I got I write about like six books, and then I've I've I go through this thing where I start a book, and I'm like, yeah, I can't, I'm not into this, and I start another one, and I'm into this, and that's where I am right now. I can't seem to like latch on to something. Um, but but uh, yeah, I I um, no, it's a bad year for me, but I'm hoping to pick things up. I you would think that a pandemic would, would give me a perfect excuse to do a lot of reading, but. You know, as as you know, parenting is uh, is is a whole new challenge with this whole situation. So yeah, uh, and uh, maybe maybe a bit more so for me. I don't know because you know your your son's a little bit older, but it's uh, it's it's tough to carve out some free time for the reading because I do a lot of reading on commutes, and I'm not commuting anymore because I'm not going to work anymore. So right um, anyway, but uh, I'm I'm trying to trying to get it. You're 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 giving me some motivation though because you're at like twenty so far this year or something. Twenty four. Twenty four. Yes. Damn it, you're not even half over yet. I know. 24 and 19 since uh, stay-at-home orders. Um, what I did, there was a couple of books that I started last year, including Manhattan Beach, which we've talked about uh, offline, um, that I started last year. And when I picked them back up, I'm like, I really got to start this from scratch. I, You know, I was only like 60 or 70 pages in. Like, I got to start this from the beginning. Um, one of those was something called Under My Skin by Lisa Unger. And then also, and right. Jennifer Egan's Manhattan Beach, um, yeah. reread the the beginnings and and finished them. Uh, excellent, excellent books. Another one that I had started multiple times and it just wouldn't catch. And I finally said, you know what? I'm going to read this fucking book. And that was Nabokov's Lolita. Okay. And you remember a couple years ago we looked at the the read harder challenge from Book Riot, and we both were like, yes, yeah, we're going to yes, do this. Yes. One of the things that we were supposed to do on there was read a banned book. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I purchased Lolita at the time for that purpose. That was a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I, I tried to start it a couple times, got 25, 30 pages into it. Nabokov's language is so thick. His prose yep. is so, it's eloquent, but it's just, you know, it, it doesn't lend itself to page turning. 
Um, so I finally read it. Um, and great, great book. Uh, Humbert, Humbert might be one of the worst characters ever created as far as human, mm-hmm. be- as human beings go. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I finally read Lord of the Flies, which, you know, everybody's, oh, didn't you read that in high school? I'm like, no, we didn't read that in high school. Uh, right. So I read Lord of the Flies, which, you know, you, you read you read Lolita and you're like, yeah, I understand why this is banned. But I didn't understand why Lord of the Flies would have ever been excluded off any reading list. Um, well, especially since it, it is, you know, in somewhat recent years, it's been such a, it's such a required book for reading. Yeah. For, for, for you know, high school or whatever and what's the I have to confess I own the book I've never read it but what's the what's the controversy it, it has to be the the tribalism that these these uh, pubescent kids devolve into um, okay. you know they uh, they start off um, that uh, they have they elect a leader uh, a kid named Ralph and and you know they're waiting for rescue and and one of the other kids just gets restless with Ralph's leadership and and one of the kids ends up dying in a, in a horrible manner. Um, right. And, you know, they, they eventually get rescued. But it, it just has to be that, that tribal nature. They, they try to murder Ralph. Um, right up until the moment they're, they're rescued. Um, and they, it, it's, you know, it's described as barbarism. But I didn't see a whole lot of that in the book. Um, but they definitely, um, you know, revert. Revert to their baser instincts, uh, right? And, right. and you know, and and even the uh, the guy who rescues them is like, "You're British children. You should have done better than this. You, know, <laughs> you should have been more proper than this." We're like, okay, well, see what happens to you when you're trapped on a deserted island in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, I read. Uh, I, I can't remember if you're a Stranger Things fan or not, but I read something by Gwenda Bond. It's the first official novel of Stranger Things. It's a prequel to the series. Um, okay. That was pretty good. The if, if you don't read anything that I've read this year, I will tell you to read Colson Whitehead's The Nickel Boys. Yeah, you're not the first person who's recommended that. I hear it's fantastic. It just won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, fantastic book. Uh, I love Whitehead's style. Um, really enjoyed it. I read... Uh, Ubeek by Philip K. Dick, and if you've never read anything by him, read this one. Um, it's it's a, a great book. Uh, he did the Man in the High Castle, right? Yes, and he did uh, it, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade yep. Runner's based on. Sure, um, sure. I've read some Vonnegut. Uh, I read a very interesting French novel called Noir, uh, which is actually more dystopian than it is noir. Even though it has noir elements, uh, was really mm-hmm. interesting. I read my first Peter Straub book, and I don't think I'd recommend Peter Straub. Uh, I'm actually looking at your posts right now with that has like the shows the books and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Mr. X is that the name yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only read one book of his so far. It's about the Hellfire Club, which was actually not bad. I hear that his collaborations with Stephen King are kind of iffy. He's written a couple books with him. Yep. I have I have Black House. I do yep. not have The Talisman, which from what I understand, you have to read The Talisman first. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, another uh, newer horror writer that you probably should, should read is a guy by the name of Laird Barron. Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to him. 
I read a collection of short stories, which is really good. Um, I've read a little Kerouac. I've read two Clive Barker uh, novellas. Mm -hmm. I read um, The Hellbound Heart, which is what Hellraiser's based on. But then I read Mr. Be Gone, which is a really interesting, and I think I, we talked about it last time. Um, it's about a, a, it's a memoir of a demon, and the demon is trapped in a book. Really different, okay. different kind of story. Um, let's see, I'm looking at my stack here. Uh, I read something called The Dracula Tape by somebody named Fred Saberhagen. It's from 1975. It's basically uh, Dracula's side of the story. Nice. <laughs> it, it wasn't very good. <laughs> it sounds, um, it sounds, sounds like it might not be that great. But. No, out of the 24 books I've read, I, I can honestly say there's like three I didn't like. Um, okay. The Dracula Tape I did not care for. Um, I did not like The Subterraneans by Kerouac. And you know what a Kerouac fan I am. And I didn't yeah. care for the Subterraneans at all. Um, yeah, but I, I think I think if I remember correctly, you there's some stuff of his that you don't like. Like you weren't a fan of Dharma bombs, right? No, I think it was something. no, yeah, um, yeah. But it was definitely better than this. Um, right. And then I read Frankenstein, which I really loved, which I hadn't read so, since yeah, I was yeah, a kid. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say I was gonna ask if you had ever read that before. But yes, I when I was a kid. A yeah. Yeah. Um, I've read Dracula multiple times. I'd never gone back to read Frankenstein again. Um, the other, I didn't like Mr. X. Did not care for that one at all. Um, and then I think those are, yeah, the Dracula tape, Mr. X. Um, what about a couple of Stephen King's too, If It yeah, Bleeds and uh, three. Sleeping Beauty. Um, yeah. Sleeping Beauty's Pet Cemetery and If It Bleeds are the three Stephen King volumes I've read. Uh, all excellent. Um, mm -hmm. If you haven't read If It Bleeds yet, you need to. Yeah. Um, I need to get back. I, I need to get back into Stephen King. Um, as you know, I've read, uh, you know, a bunch of his books, but I haven't read one. It's been a few years. I think the last one that I read was eleven twenty two sixty three, which yeah. I read not right after it came out, but I read it. Uh, I don't know, maybe four years ago, um, or something like that. But uh, um, yeah, I, I definitely want to. Um, to, to read, you know, there's there's plenty out there, obviously, and you know, um, uh, it's not like I've read all the good ones. You know, there's definitely several that are, you know, I we talked about the dark half, and that's, you know, I, I think you did you say that was one of your favorites? That is my my favorite. That... Yeah, and I, I gotta I gotta get into that because that's that's considered, you know, I, my friend Kevin, who is uh, I'm convinced is the world's biggest Stephen King fan, considers that like top ten Stephen King. So that's high praise. Um, yeah, I that I remember reading that one, and I read it, you know, shortly after it came out, and I remember that was that was one of the few books that has ever like scared the living crap out of me. Really? Um, yeah, I I had read a bunch of King in the '90s and early 2000s. I had read um, Dark Half, Needful Things, Gerald's Game, stuff like that, and Dark Half was was frightening. Um, yeah. The thing about if it bleeds, it's four novellas. One of them yeah. I didn't, I didn't really get, and I had to read the author's note afterwards to kind of get it. And it's kind of written backwards. Um, the first yeah. story um, prompted a blog post for me, reminded me of a childhood relationship I had with an elderly neighbor I had. Um, but yeah, excellent collection of novellas. It, it, it I got through it in like three days. I blitzed through it. It was that good. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. 
and I kept checking Amazon. Oh, when's the book coming? When's the book coming? I can't wait to read it. Um, so what I'm going to do, I have the next three in Dean Koontz's Jane Hawk series sitting on my nightstand. I tried reading The Naked Lunch by, by Burroughs last night. I, I got 15 pages into it. I'm like, oh my God, what the hell am I reading? Um, <laughs> I'll, real. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to it uh, eventually, someday, but not today. I'm going to read those three Dean Koontz novels next, and then I'm going to start an epic Stephen King binge. And okay. I'm going to read every Stephen King anything that I've never read, and then I'm going to go back and read the stuff that I read, starting with Night Shift, which was the first thing I ever read by him. I was you know, I think it had to be during one of my uh, at-sea periods on the USS Saratoga um, when I read this, uh, and I have a copy. But, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, read Stephen King, and I'm not going to read anything else until I'm done. Um, tell, that's great. Can you t- tell me about Manhattan Beach, because, you know, you and yeah. I talked about that a little bit. Uh, you know, I read uh, Visit from the Goon Squad by her right. about a year ago, and probably the best book I read all year last year. Uh, is this a novel? Yes. And and what's funny is um, in the praise for the book on the back of it, it says, you know, uh, after, you know, Goon Squad, what, what possibly could Jennifer Egan do? Oh, she surprised us with a traditional novel. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's um, it's about three different storylines that run parallel, intertwine, intersect over the course of about nine years. And um, it has it starts in 1934. It goes into the 40s, and the main character ends up working at the naval yard in in New York. She becomes a female diver, which you know back when they used those 200 pound diving suits. Mm-hmm. Um, her father gets mixed up with gangsters. Um, it's just a it's a really well written book. Um, I've worked at the Washington Navy Yard, so reading about, you know, another Navy Yard kind of spoke to me. Um, but also I love, you know, gangster stories and, and that kind of thing. And really interesting reading it from a female perspective written by a woman. Um, it it was, you know, there's some sensibilities there that, that maybe a male writer and a male character wouldn't have experienced, you know, mm-hmm. like especially when it comes to, to sex and sexuality and and uh, kind of the attitudes toward um, female sexuality and, and traditional gender roles and, and that kind of thing. I don't think a man could have written this story. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, great book. Really enjoyed it. Um, I posted something on Twitter about it that Jennifer Egan herself responded to. So that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and it's fun when that happens. yeah, I really liked that. The, uh, the author of the, uh, the Icelandic author of the book I read called last rituals. She, uh, she responded to me too, which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, I enjoy that when that happens. Um, and even if it's been, you know, several years since their book come out there, people are always appreciative when you, when you find theirs. Um, but yeah, it's, um, she she definitely can turn a phrase and and tell a story and you know you get to the last third of the book and you're like how is this all going to come together yeah you know you you there's just three storylines and you know they're going to crash together it's like how's she going to do this and right um, right and and it yeah 
It, it was really well, well done. One of the things that I really liked about uh, Goon Squad was the fact that it was, you know, so many intertwined plots and, and storylines and characters, and it all did kind of come together. And I think that that appeared, you know, uh, uh, judging by what you just said about Manhattan Beach, is that that's one of her gifts, is that she's able to sort of take all these really, uh, you know, uh, all these different uh, threads and really pull them all together. And so that makes me want to read this other book, you know, even more, because it sounds to me like, uh, you know, Goon Squad wasn't just a fluke. <laughs> right. Like she's, just, she's really good at this. Well, <laughs> considering... Goon Squad won a Pulitzer or whatever, so right. yeah, it she's did, yes. yeah. Pulitzer Prize winner, yeah, yeah. 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 So she's uh, and what, yeah, well, well deserved. It, it really, you, you're gonna like it. I'm interested to hear what you think about it, but uh, hopefully that's on your on your list. I would I would think. Oh yeah, especially after we talked about it, and you know, it was, yeah. uh, it was something uh, really different. Um, you know, I I'm lucky because my son is is 13, so he's very independent does his own thing your son is is younger so probably needs more uh parental stimulation and supervision so i can understand why you you haven't been able to find time to read well and the thing is is that if we wanted to we could let him do whatever he wants but that would basically consist of him being on the switch all day long and we can't we just can't in good conscience do that right so we we constantly have to kind of like find new ways to keep him entertained and keep him from saying i why can't i be on a video game all day long so that's the thing is that and you know he's not and, and part of it is also the pandemic i mean you know play dates and stuff like that you just that that can't that's not part of the equation so right. uh you know we're all staying home and that makes things very challenging but you know i managed to try and you know get a little reading done and like you know after everyone's in bed or sometimes if i'm up early or whatever um also another thing i do is audiobooks are great especially uh i i audiobooks are great for commutes but they're also great if i'm taking a dog for a walk because it's sure. like hey i don't i don't have to talk to anybody why don't i listen to this book so right you know, and you're I'm supposed gonna... to be social distancing anyway so you're not supposed to be exactly. talking to people to begin with exactly don't talk to me put on a mask or something i'm right. reading or you know i'm listening to a book uh but I, you know and i've been an, i've been an audiobook fan for many many years and and uh it's great for just like i said you know if i have to be outside and i'm by myself anyway if i'm taking the dog for a walk it's like hey here's like 15 20 minutes where i can catch up on a book um you know and again commuting is something that uh, i used to do a lot during commutes and we're not commuting anymore we're not going anywhere so um yeah i mean it's it's uh you just gotta find the time um, and I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but it's just, uh, it's been tough. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's been tough for everybody. So what I, what I, what I said to you via text, I'll expand on now find, you know, stuff you can consume in a sitting, right? Yeah. I mean, I know we, we read what we're interested in, but I had a ton of, and I still have a lot more. I've got a bunch of novellas that are in the 200 to 250 page range. And several of them I consumed in one sitting. Yeah. Right? So whether it's two hours, four hours, whatever it ends up being, I read The Nickel Boys in one night. I read... Yeah, and a few others. Uh, Charles Bukowski's Post Office. I couldn't put it down. It was irreverent. It was funny. I was laughing out loud while I was reading it. I got to get the other two books that go with it. Um I never read Bukowski, and I was dying laughing. I was on the couch. I read it in an afternoon. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, just to keep yourself reading and, and staying in the habit, find some stuff that's a little shorter. 
Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's good with like like short novels, but also you know short story collections are great for that absolutely. Because, you know, yeah, you you can you know you're like okay, well I read two of these tonight. Yeah, I'll or I got an hour tomorrow. to I got an hour to read, so I'll read it. Right, so, right. And then yeah. you know I think that that's something that's kind of cool about these uh, you know when Stephen King does these uh, novella uh, collections, and he's done several of these. I mean, I think Different Seasons was the first one. It's like four novellas in one book. Different Seasons was the, I think the first one. Four Past Midnight, uh, uh, um, Full Dark, No Stars. These are all four novellas in one book, and I think that was the case with uh, the one that you just. Uh, if it ble- is that yeah. novellas? Yeah, it's it four yet? of them. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of it, it, what's nice about that is that don't look at it as as one big book. Look at it as four very small books. Right. You know. Yep. Um, and and I think I, I think um, different seasons. I read different seasons, and I read the Full Dark. Stars and they were both great. I think Different Seasons is like top five king for me. I mean, it's just a fantastic collection. Um, but based on on you know the way I feel about those particular books, I think If It Bleeds is probably going to be uh, one of my next ones. Probably if it's yeah. And what I liked about it was there was no lazy writing in it. There was no attempt yeah. by him to be hip, um, which you know I found that to be the case in Mister Mercedes. Um, there was yeah. some lazy writing. He's trying to be. You know, it, it, try to lose a little bit of that that main folksiness and and being being up to date. I'm like, you know, just be you, just write you, yeah. and that's what yeah, he did. And yeah. if it bleeds, right? There's none of that. And even though there is some newer technology, right? The first Mr. Harrigan's phone is all about newer technology. It's all about an yes. iPhone, right? So, um, yeah. but it's done in a way that that we we all can relate to. Uh, and he and he doesn't sure. doesn't do it in a way where he's he's trying to understand something um, and force that understanding on us, um, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, as far as Stephen King goes, I've read Mr. Mercedes, Doctor Sleep, It, which was my one big epic one, and then yeah. three three so far this year with with Sleeping Beauties, Pet Cemetery, and if it please, Pet Cemetery was something. It really was, and I and I wish they would have, you know, done this in the movies a little bit better. But um, the uh, the main character's relationship with the neighbor Judd is is deeper and more profound in the book. Um, the scene where he digs up his son uh, after he dies just goes on forever. It's it's a whole different thing than you see in the movies. Um, but Sleeping Beauties was surprisingly good. I, uh, is that is that the one that he co-wrote with his son? With Owen, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I didn't. A friend of mine gave it to me, and I I didn't know if I was gonna like it or not. And it hooked me right away. So, um, but yeah, I, um, I I need to. You and I talking on this program got me thinking about how many books I've read by Stephen King. As much as I'm a professed King fan, and I think it's more. I've seen more of his film adaptations than I've actually read his books. And yeah. I total it up, and I think I'm up to 18 now. Okay. I've read 18 books out of, like, over 60. So i got a lot of work right. to do. Well, I'm, you know, and the thing is, what's really frustrating is that he's still writing them. So it's not like there's an end point, you know, I right. mean, there's always going to be one to read until he dies. And he's, you know, he's, I don't know, I think he's like in his early seventies or something like that. So, you know, he still gets some life left in him. And the, the thing is, is that 
it's not like there's any drop in quality. I mean, you just read the latest one. And you said it was really good. I yeah. read eleven twenty two sixty three, which is I don't know six seven years ago it came out, and one of my favorite books of his. And I think if anything, he's had a bit of a of a renaissance. I mean, you know, I think that he's there have been. Uh, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say that he's writing better than ever right now, but it's it's. Um, I, I think you could say that there was a dip in quality, maybe like in the eighties. A lot of that, I think, had to do with the fact that he was, like, you know, hopped up on coke and everything else. So the book, you know, Tommy Knockers, you know, it's a little self-indulgent. Um, I don't think there's any of that right now. I think that his writing right now seems to be very lean. Yeah, and, nice uh, and tight. You know, nice and tight. And he has kind of abandoned some of the things that he's been known for and has kind of slipped a little bit out of his comfort zone. I think that 112263 is a bit of an, a departure for him uh, because, it, I don't know, I, I think that the fact that it involves time travel isn't really something you really associate with him necessarily. So I like the fact that he's kind of doing different things and doesn't really seem to be slipping at all. And that's, that's great. And it, it makes me wonder, I wonder how many more books he has left in him. It sounds to me like probably several yeah and that's why i like the outsider because it was different for him it was outside his main universe even though yeah even though there's a story and if it bleeds it the the title track basically um that is in that universe um and has a crossover with the mr mercedes universe uh with the character of holly gibney um so you know yeah how many does he have but again he's back to that lean tight writing that you know, mm-hmm. there's so many of his books that um, there's so much bloat. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, Tommy Knockers is, is probably one of the main offenders, and I think I, we, we might have talked about this before. Where he that was one of the books that he wrote in the '80s that he honestly has no recollection of writing yep. because he was so you know he was taking so many drugs and he was on you know he was an alcoholic and all this other stuff. And uh, you know, I mean, you say that like it's a say? bad thing. God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> He was an alcoholic, Chris says, as he takes a sip of his beer. Right, um, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he did, he, he was a little bit uh, self-indulgent back in, in those days, some of the writing. Uh, I tried to read Tommy Knockers, I just could not get into it. I might try it again someday, but god damn, that book is like, you know, find a way to end this thing already. <laughs> you know? like, did you read it? No, no. Yeah. Um, it's you a know. bit much. Yeah, like I, I mean, I've read five in the last, you know, 12 months. Um, you know, before that, it was, uh, you know, it was Needful Things, Gerald's Game, Dark Half, Night Shift. I read The Gunslinger a couple of years ago, you know, and can't remember off the top of my head the rest of them. I've got a ton of them on the shelf. I don't even have to, to start my binge, I don't even have to buy any. I, uh, yeah. you know, I've got a yeah, stack with me. I get, I get, I get several of his that I haven't read yet. And, uh, you know, um, some of, some of the really big ones like, uh, under the dome. I, I tried that a few years ago and couldn't get into it, but I, I think I'll eventually read it. It's just a really long book. It's like a thousand pages. Uh, insomnia is another one. It's like, that's one of those doorstop books. It's like, geez, you know, this is, this is going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. That was my problem with it. Right. I had to make it into a homework assignment. It was basically yeah. like, I'm going to read this damn book before the fucking second movie comes out. And but it paid off, though, right? Sure, because it affected me. I, it, I, I related to it, even though the, the time shift is different. Um, you know, um, it's relatable to me because, you know, we didn't have a name on it when I was a kid. But we, 
and this is why I like Stranger Things too, even though it's not Stephen King. But the 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 pack of kids that you hang around, you hung around with when you were thirteen, riding bikes all over the place, and you know carrying a boombox wherever you went, and doing those kind of things. I did those things, and right. you know there were bullies, and there were you know you always had the the older cool kid driving the the, the fancy car, and you know those were, and maybe because you know. Western New York's not that far removed from Maine that, you know, the aesthetic is the same. Yeah. So well, he made, he, he, he created characters that people were, you know, they're very relatable, which is funny when you think about someone who is known as a horror writer, yes. you know, being able to create characters that, that are relatable. And I think, I think it is a perfect example of that. I mean, you know, this, this group of kids that were bullied and everything like that, and they're fighting. And that's where the stranger things thing comes in. I mean, stranger things is essentially, you know, I wouldn't say it's the same as it, but it's it's there's so many similarities. It's yes. a bunch of outcasts in the '80s kids, and uh, you know that really, I think, speaks to the popularity of Stranger Things because it's so relatable, and it also speaks to the popularity of it. I mean, it's one you know one of his best known, or definitely one of his most uh, revered books because not because of the fact that it's about monsters and scary things, which that's part of it, but I think it's also because it's about a bunch of a bunch of misfit kids and there's so many misfit you know adults who were grew up that way so you know and that's again stranger things is the same way it's a bunch of kids playing dun- dungeons and dragons in their basement right and and the thing and this is what i figured out about the film adaptations is if the filmmaker didn't get it the theme of the book the movie adaptation suffers, and probably The Shining is the only exception to that. As much as Stephen King hates it, he's on record, he can't stand Kubrick's version. And Kubrick was such a great filmmaker, he made his own film, right? He made his own scary, great film, but he didn't get, you know, the, the... the alcoholism, the familial abuse. He didn't, he didn't really put that on screen like it was in the book. And I haven't read the book, but that's what I've read about it. Yeah. Um, I think what even Andy Muschietti didn't get about it was unresolved childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And he, he kind of got it in the first one and he didn't get it in the second one. And that's what made the second one so bad. He spent so much time yeah. doing flashbacks to the kids, he forgot the adult story and, and basically turns Pennywise into just this Saturday matinee monster yes. um, and, and kind of ruined the movie. If he had stuck to the source, it would have been a much better film. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, everybody was so enamored with the kids who, who played, you know, the, chi- the children of it, uh, of Derry, that... You know, oh, we got to keep going back to that. I'm like, no, this is this is all about their unresolved issues and how it affected them as adults, how they repeated the same mistakes or repeated the same sins of their parents. Yeah, and yeah. and they he didn't get it, and I think, um, you know, I think the the new pet cemetery had a real opportunity to do something different. And they swung and missed. Yeah. And I don't know how you fuck up, you know, loss of a child, uh, right. and not and not get that. Um, but you know, they could have done something really, really good there. The first one stands on its own. Um, uh, but Well, I heard the, I heard the first one was very good. It, it could have been better, but you know, Fred Gwynn 
is great as Judd Crandall, and it's you know I I don't know like Denise Crosby wasn't that great of an actress to me, but um, it, it could have been better. But it it does stand on its own, yes. um, you know. But I think when these filmmakers get it, the adaptations are great. Uh, whoever did the series for HBO, The Outsider, they got it. They understood it. Yeah. You know, and and other times, um, the, if they don't get it, the, the adaptation's bad. You know, right. Brian De Palma right. got it with Carrie from, yeah. the, from the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably, yeah, and that's probably, to me, that's De Palma's best work. Oh, interesting. Consider, yeah, uh, considering yeah, all the great stuff he did in the 70s, but that, to me, <laughs> Carrie's his best work. You know, <laughs> I just watched the movie recently again, and, you know, the, the people are in it who are in it too Nancy Allen and John Travolta and, um, you know, it's, it's Piper Laurie. I mean, there's, you know, that's the other thing too is the casting. When you get some of these actors that, to do these things, you know, they, they lend some, some gravitas, some cachet to it. Sure. Yeah, and, and, and I think that it, and wasn't it also Travolta's first movie? Might have been. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely Just, before Saturday Night Fever. So it was after it was before Saturday Night Fever, but I think it was probably after Welcome Back, Cotter. Or no, that was all before Welcome Back, Cotter. Welcome wow. Back, Cotter happens around Greece. And all I, you know, uh, I thought Welcome Back, Cotter was before Saturday Night Saturday Night Fever. I think it was around. It was during. Okay. Okay. Right, like it was late seventy, mid to late seventies. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right. I, 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 I watch Welcome Back Better in reruns, so I, I, I don't. Oh my god! <laughs> I used know where to. I was when Welcome Back Better was on. I used to watch that when I was a kid. I used to love it. Yeah, I watched it in reruns like in the eighties, so I, I missed the boat on that. Great theme song too, and oh, yeah. I got to give you credit though. And obviously, we talk music uh, during these programs. Um, but I got to give you credit because you reminded me of something, and now I use it all the damn time. The Barney Miller bass line. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, you brought it up in something, and some some there's social media something. About, there's a thread about about TV theme songs, I think, on, yeah. on Twitter. I think it was. Yeah, and you yeah. and everybody was talking about bass lines from this, that, and the other thing, and you were like, "No, no, 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 it's Barney Miller," <laughs> and I'm like, "He's right," because yeah. every time. You heard that. You're like, oh, Barney Miller's on. It's very, very uh, uh, noticeable, distinctive. Um, and and, and uh, I think my two favorite 70s uh, theme songs, Barney Miller and Rockford Files. Oh, God, yeah. And yeah. that was a great show. Rockford Files, yeah. I mean, Barney Miller was a great show, too. Barney Miller was hilarious. Oh, I loved uh, it. Kind of ahead, ahead of its time. Um, and, you know, Rockford Files sort of like, I think uh, that's a show that's been imitated a lot. You know, the kind of like smart ass, uh, like private detective sure. and, and all that. And, you know, James Garner was brilliant in that. And it was a show that you didn't really take very seriously because it was kind of kind of like Magnum P.I. was in the 80s. You know, the, the lead character was just sort of like, you know, a bit of a playboy and you don't really take him too seriously. But just very enjoyable, kind of guilty pleasure stuff, you know. Yeah, and there were a lot of great side characters, too. You know, yeah, yeah, just yeah, just like of, and a lot of a lot of guest appearances, yeah, just random people, right? Um, it was a great show. I love that show. Yeah, me too. And you know, the thing about Barney Miller was the diversity that that yes. got me right. Was you know, you had uh, Ron Glass and Jack Sue and mm-hmm. uh, and all those Steve Landisberg. You had yeah, just about you know every ethnic group you could think of um, mm-hmm. 
was represented on that show, which was unheard of at the time. Uh, Steve Landisberg, I think Dietrich, probably yeah. the, my favorite character on that show. Oh, just a s- hilarious. So character. cerebral. <laughs> yeah, he was because he was just this. He was this cop, but he was this really witty, very well-read guy. And uh, but yeah, all the characters on that show were just you know. I think it, it broke a lot of ground. Uh, Jack Sue, hilarious. Absolutely. Oh, but it was when he was when he when he tried the pot brownies. Oh yeah, yeah, and the whole thing. It was always uh, it was a running gag with him and the coffee, yeah. and he couldn't he make a pot out. of coffee to save his life. And then and then of course Abe Vigoda as fish. Fish, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was on the early first couple seasons. Yeah, and it was just. You know, you you wonder how any of these guys caught any bad guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, you know but how you know how Lynn did Bar- Bar- uh, Barney Miller? They Barney Miller's uh, the character who played Bar- the guy who played Barney Miller uh, still alive. Uh, yeah, loved him. He's gonna and, be he's gonna be still alive. He's gonna be like ninety or something like that. But most of those guys are not alive. Before. And every every once in a while, uh, Ron Glass will pop up. But you he's know. dead now. Well. He's okay. not popping up anymore. Right. You don't know that. <laughs> we're we just talking about Stephen King stories? I mean, shit, Ron Glass could pop up at any time now. Wasn't, wasn't Ron Glass in... No, not Ron Glass. I'm getting confused with the other guy. You're thinking uh, of Tim Reed. Tim Reed. Oh, yeah, God, Venus Flytrap. Venus Flytrap. He was in the original It. Right? Yes. Yes. He was, he was adult, Mike. Uh, he was Mike. Mike Hamlin. Mike. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. Tim, Re- Tim Reeve, Venus Flytrap, another great show, WKRP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, that, that's a Classics. common common subject around here because uh, I have the uh, the Les Nessman Turkey Drop t-shirt. <laughs> WKRP with more music and Les Nessman. <laughs> yeah, and the best was when he had to do the sports, and he's talking about, in golf today, Chai Chai Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Les. Les. He was doing social distancing before anybody else. And who was Howard Hessman? What was the name of the... Uh, the Dr. Johnny Dr. Fever. Dr. Johnny Fever. Oh, yeah. Venus Flytrap and... Uh, then there was Herb Tarley was, was the, the ad sales guy. and yep, and yep, uh, yep. Yeah, then Sandy was the station manager. Um, yep. Yeah, and then... And then there was the owner of the whole thing, and he was kind of an older guy. Can't remember his oh, name Mr., now. Oh, uh, Mr. Uh, shit. <laughs> yes, yeah, what's his name? Mr. Shit. Mr. Uh, shit. Yeah, I can't remember his name either. But yeah, I love that. Love that show, and that theme song was iconic too. Talk about another another great theme song. Um, but yeah, 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 just you know, to me, sitcoms kind of died with Cheers. That I, you was know, one of the last good ones. Yep. And all, you know, I did watch my share of Friends, but you know, there was so much wrong with Friends. Um, yeah, you know, I, I never, I never really caught on to that show. Um, you know, it's funny though because those the, the 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 characters, the main characters, are all like our age. Right. Um, the show the show started in the mid nineties, and these were all guys in the you know people in their mid twenties or whatever. And um, I just it didn't catch on with me very much, and I I, I got I got hung up on the lack of realism on the show, even though it's a sitcom. Because I was one of those people who was always like, how can these people afford those enormous oh my apartments God. in Manhattan? <laughs> yeah. I got, I got hung up on that. Every once in a while, like, you know, uh, they'd, they'd explain it in an episode. Oh, I inherited it from my grandmother. or It's rent control. or <laughs> that, that That's the answer to everything in New York with a outsized apartment they can't afford. Oh, it's rent control. Oh, okay. Right. Like, we're supposed to know what the fuck that means. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um, no, my my biggest problem with Friends was how they just ignored 9-11. They just completely yeah. ignored it. Interesting, yeah. They could have done an episode. They could have done least. something, you know. Could have done something. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is I, I David Schwimmer is one of my least favorite actors ever. I couldn't stand him on there, and he ends up with Rachel at the end, and I'm just like, you don't deserve her, you ass. Um, I... I know we 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 uh, diverted to another airstrip there. We were gonna get into music, but uh, um, as always on the the program, because uh, you were a big deal with popmatters.com and write a lot of yeah. music reviews, and you've forgotten more about music than I'll ever know. What's uh, what's happening? What are you writing about? Uh, oh boy, let's see. Um, well, Besides, I, almost uh, missing deadlines. I am. Yeah, I, a lot of last minute, uh, a lot of procrastinating but you know that's how I roll um, I recently reviewed uh, an album by a, uh, a singer-songwriter out of Chicago she's Russian-born but uh, raised in uh, Chicago her name is Nika N-I-I-K-A and she has this album out called Close But Not Too Close and that came out yesterday and it's sort of a um, kind of a Bjork-ish sort of Kate Bush-ish sort of thing um, I highly recommend it and I uh, wrote a review of that, um, and um, what do I have coming up? Let me think here. i got to look up here. Um, oh, oh, I'm reviewing the new Paul Weller, as is my want, because as you know, I'm a big fan. Yes. Uh, that, come out, that comes out next month, uh, June 12th. It's called On Sunset. Um, a lot of like experimental stuff. I've, I've been doing a lot of just kind of like weird sort of instrumental stuff. Um there is a, uh, oh shit, I'm trying to think of something that might be of interest to your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. What are your, what are your listeners into? I, um, I would think anything and everything. Okay. Uh, there is a, um. Oh, boy, let me think here. There is a uh, singer-songwriter who is, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've been writing about has been not just experimental, but sort of like, you know, uh, sort of artists who are not household names or anything like that. And there's a woman named Mare Berger who has an album called The Moon is Always Full. It comes out in June. And that's another sort of female singer-songwriter. reminds me a little bit of sort of like these sort of oddball uh, folks like Bjork who, who sort of create music that's really sort of off the beaten path. And I would definitely recommend that. If you like sort of like well-crafted sort of power pop type stuff, there's a, a band called Thin Lear, which is, uh, the album's coming out in July. It's called Wooden Cave. It's really, really good stuff. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's like really kind of catchy, sort of almost like a little bit like 90s, uh, 80s or 90s indie rock. Um, I would definitely recommend that and then a whole bunch of like really crazy experimental instrumental stuff that's all like bleeps and boops um because for some reason i've been very attracted to that stuff lately <laughs> um, i can't explain why uh oh here is somebody uh who i wrote about i wrote a feature article on a couple i've done a couple of feature articles recently about artists who i think definitely deserve um uh people's attention one of them is this guy from indiana named peter oren he's a singer songwriter sort of a 
mostly like kind of acoustic singer songwriter. Um, he has an album that came out last month called The Greener Pasture, and um, kind of reminds me a little bit of sort of Billy Bragg. It's sort of like politically charged, sort of indie folk type stuff. And he recorded this album in a uh, cabin that he rented in rural Indiana, and he got a bunch of input from other musicians that he knows in all other parts of the country, and they sort of mailed in their parts. And it sounds very cohesive for something that was recorded that way. And uh, I definitely recommend that. Also did a feature story about this guy from a singer-songwriter who is based out of Brooklyn named Ben Saratan. He has an album called Youth Pastoral, which is kind of... Kind of like sounds kind of like an indie version of like Neil Young, like really really interesting stuff. Um, so I definitely recommend that. Uh, one thing I will say about the writing that I'm doing is that I'm definitely overextended. Uh, I am writing way more than I have time to write, <laughs> and I have no idea how I'm able to get all this stuff done. But I figure it out. You know, I carve out time uh, during the day, and sometimes I, as as you saw from that Instagram post, sometimes there are late nights where it's like, holy shit, I have to put this out now. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not working right now. I don't actually have a job. So my excuse, I mean, temporarily I'm out of a job. But my excuse is, you know, this is something that's like, it's a creative thing that I'm able to do. I don't get paid for it, but I'm able to do it, and I get a little bit of recognition for it. Um, and I'm also discovering a lot of music, and, and, you know, I'm getting, like, records and stuff in the mail from people. Um, so if anything, it's added to my collection, which is nice. Right. Um, but, uh, I think what's lately, I, like I, I said before, I've been really interested in a lot of stuff that's sort of off the beaten path, but I think the thing about that is that, um, when the time comes, when we're able to actually start attending concerts and stuff like that, um, the great thing about being into a lot of these particular artists is that they tend to play small venues, which is great because I think I'm kind of over the whole concept of going to like arenas and stuff like that. It's the experience is just very, um, I don't know. It's, there's something about staring at a jumbotron instead of like being in a club that is, uh, a little impersonal. So, uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more attracted to music that draws like a smaller audience because it makes for a more, uh, more personal, um, experience i don't know if that makes any sense yeah there's uh, a lot to i think there's a lot to be said for both um yeah. you know i i saw panic at the disco a couple of years ago and you know because the, the kids into it and <laughs> I, I had a great time i enjoyed it brendan yuri's infinitely talented um and is that is that that wasn't like a stadium type thing right? yeah it was an theater. arena show you know? oh, really? yeah it was a uh basketball arena yeah, so, oh, wow. you know, 17,000, okay. 20,000 uh, capacity. Um, yeah, so, um, but, no, I, I enjoy the intimate show as well. I think, you yeah. know, this, this Irish pub in Oakland we like to go to, one of the things I like about it is they have a couple of Irish musicians in the corner half the time when we go, you know, and it's just, you know, yeah, it's just traditional Irish pub music, you know. Um, yeah. You know, Michael Flatley doesn't show up or anything, but... Um, you know, fuck hey, that. Have you seen? Well, you and I both follow uh, Jane Wheatland on yes. Instagram, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, did you see 
this thing that she posted, she did this this uh, parody of Caribbean Queen, which she called it Quarantine Queen. Oh, I missed it. I'll have to go find it. <laughs> it's, it's very good. She's nuts. Um, she's nuts. I, uh, I just like adore the hell out of her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When uh, the last time I saw them, uh, the Go-Go's in live, uh, leading up to it, they, they do a thing where Jim naps anywhere. And, and, and she's like, she's, 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 she's taking a nap, a nap on luggage carts and overhead bins. She's, she's, she's just out of her mind. mind. But um, um, I'm a terrible, terrible Beastie Boys fan because I still haven't seen any Spike Jones documentary on Apple Plus, which I need to do, which I will do very, very soon. Pat Oswalt has a new special coming out this week. It drops Tuesday. Tuesday. So I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to check that out. You haven't seen Mark Maron's special on there. You have. Didn't really like really all that, all that, you, know, you know, Jesus, Jesus, sick, and, and all that at the end of it. But the rest of the rest of it, brilliant, brilliant. No, no, I haven't been able to bring myself to drop the 50 bucks for it. Yeah, it's kind of expensive, but it's a keeper, it's a keeper. Yeah, yeah. Coffee table, I'm not allowed to put on a coffee table. Uh, Chris, I think Chris, when it comes to the music comes reviews, you're a few weeks away from the, the Dax Shepard, Kristen, uh, kids banging up pots and pans review. That's, I think, where we are. What are you talking about? I think, I think, you know, pretty soon that's, that's what you're going to be, uh, reviewing is Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell's kids banging on pots and pans. That, that, that'll be the album you're reviewing. We're a few weeks away from that. Sounds sounds good to me. Sure. <laughs> oh, the one the one last thing I'll say is is that I am really stunned at how inconsistent the television personalities are in their home setups. Yes. One show they've got the professional camera, they got the lavalier microphones, everything's great. You'd never know they're not in a studio. And then the next one. It's Ryan Seacrest just rolled out of bed in his kitchen with his iPhone. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. Are you are you like me in that when you are looking at one of these people doing these things from their home and they're in front of a bookcase, you're trying to figure out what the book yes. is? Yes. And I'm looking. And, and the best one was Sebastian Maniscalco. And okay. he's like, I haven't read any of these fucking things. <laughs> I don't know. He didn't even know what was on the shelf. Because Kelly Kelly Ripa was like, oh, man, it's like you're in a high-end bookstore. And he looks behind him and goes, I don't know what the fuck any of this is. <laughs> it's great. He's like, I haven't read any of this shit. That's what kills me is I, 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 I'm looking at everybody's book collection going, you haven't read any of this. <laughs> well, it depends on who the person is. If they're... I, I don't know. I mean, some of them, depending on who the person is, it's like, yeah, I could see them reading that book. But some of them, it's like, yeah, these are for show or that just belongs to the person's wife or something like that. It's such pretentious bullshit. Oh, look at my <laughs> look at my high end book collection. Yeah, you've read, yeah, you've read Deepak Chopra. Shut up. Go away. You, you've read Carl Jung. Shut up. Go away. Oh, what do you anything to add here, Chris? Uh, no, not really. We talked about books. We talked about TV. We talked about music. Didn't talk too much about politics. You know what? That that was kind of it's kind of a nice uh, change of pace. I like that. It was uh, yeah, you know, a little bit about it. You know, it was a little space farce. Little uh, that's you know, true. yeah. I mean, I mean, we're at the point now where it's just like 
let's go, Joe. Uh, you know, if if uh, yeah, if we have a future here, at least for the next four years, we got to get this clown out of office. I mean, I mean, one thing I'll say about that is that you know this is not the way that I wanted it to turn out. And trust me, I am not excited in the least about voting for Joe Biden. But you know what? This is what if this is the choice we're left with. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Oh, one hundred percent. And I just love how they're just trotting out everything. This Tara Reid woman has already been discredited yep. and debunked. Mm-hmm. That's a non-starter. There's, you know, freaking Trump Jr. is is throwing garbage out on Instagram, and it's like even even Dan Abrams from every A and E cop show uh, that you can think of, Mister Live PD, is like, this is all bullshit. Yeah. You know, what is well, Obamagate? What the hell is this garbage? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that uh, I'm really interested to find out who he's going to pick for a VP. You know, that's going to be huge, and that will make a big difference in terms of, like, you know, people accepting Biden. I mean, he needs to pick. He's, I think, didn't he say that he's going to pick a woman? Yes, like, and, and people are pushing uh, him now to pick a woman of color. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of... There's a lot that can, I don't know. There's a lot of potential there, and I think that he has the potential to, to, to pick someone who's very progressive, who can kind of bring people, you know, bring more people to him. I mean, that's what he should be doing. Um, but you know, and, and people are talking about Elizabeth Warren. It's like you know, Elizabeth Warren is doing a hell of a lot more good in the Senate. Yep. She doesn't mm-hmm. need a VP job where she's basically going to be doing nothing. Right. Um, so I don't know. It, I'm interested to see who he picks, and you know, if he gets elected, uh, I think that uh, he has an opportunity to to create a cabinet that's 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 diverse, but it's also to, you know dedicated to solving things like climate change and all of that stuff. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, he people are saying like, well, he won't if he if he uh, if he ends up getting elected. You know, there's a very good chance that he won't seek a second term just because of his age. And so, you know, if that's the case, that's great, you know, and, and maybe the VP will be the next uh, president after that. So it's more of just sort of like, I'm not voting for Biden, I'm voting for a shift, you know, and I'm voting to get Trump out and I'm voting for a shift away from all the Trump bullshit. And, you know, hopefully that'll happen. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, what I will leave you with is if I ever walk into an establishment where the other patrons are carrying assault rifles, I'm walking right the fuck out. <laughs> Same here. Fortunately, I happen to live in a part of the country where that doesn't happen very often, and I'm assuming that's probably the case with you, too. I don't know. Yeah, if you need your AR-15 to go get your Subway sandwich, we've got a real fucking problem. I don't know what you're afraid of, but if you're that afraid you got to carry an assault weapon to go to Starbucks, maybe you shouldn't leave the house. Just a thought. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't understand what these people are afraid of. I don't know what the deal is, but, you know, apparently uh, there's an oogity-boogity around every corner waiting to carjack them, Um, you know, and we won't even get into all all, all of that other nonsense that's been happening. Uh, But... uh, you know, I'm just glad those those two guys down in Georgia finally got popped for uh, for killing that guy for doing nothing. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, Be- because all of a sudden, you know, we we need people running around making citizens arrests. Right. Right. God. Yeah. Something oh, yeah. wrong with people. It really is. But uh, our conversation has been a pleasure as always, my friend. 
Yeah, I agree. That's going to do it for this edition of the Get the Knack podcast. I am your host, Jerry Knack, for my good friend, Chris Ingalls. We'll talk to you next time.